Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Soul Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more. Hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of java or chai, and listen and enjoy. Tonight's guest, is author, musician, and photographer, Lorraine Devon Wilkie. Namaste, Lorraine Devon Wilkie, and welcome hey. to the Funk Soul oh. Cafe. Hi, Robert. It's so great to be here. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing good. And uh, how are you feeling this, this evening? Actually, I'm it's 3.30 great. where you are, right? <laughs> yes, it is. It's still sunny afternoon, so I'm feeling good. The sun is out after a day of rain. Oh, that's great to know. So, Lorraine, let's first start off by taking your Java order. We have a wonderful okay. variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes. And we also have herbal teas for the tea lovers. So what's your fancy, Lorraine? I've gotten very into chai lately, so I think I'm going to have to have a cup of chai. Wonderful, wonderful. Let me get it right up for you. Thank you, sir. And here you go. Enjoy it. Mm, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Robert. So, Lorraine, let's start the show by talking a little bit about your two books, After the Sucker Punch and Hysterical Love. I hear they're doing very well and have even won some awards. Yeah, they both, um, after the Sucker Punch came out in spring of uh, 2014 and Hysterical Love came out about exactly a year later. And given the way the independent publishing world goes, you you know, books often have a longer shelf life 
than they might in the uh, traditional publishing world. So you can have a book that's two years old and still getting new recognition and new notice from new readers and new media sources. And that's kind of what's been happening um, with even my older of the two books, um, finding new readership through different different outlets, you know, different readers read them and write blogs about them and I hear from people who find them in bookstores and so it's been it's been kind of fun. It's been slow but steady and I think for an independent writer that's sometimes the best way to go. Yes, yes, that's that's a great thing. Um so what has winning these awards done for your author brand, Lorraine. Were literary agents or mainstream publishers contacting you to become part of their stable? You know, Robert, I was listening to your first show, and I was listening to the part of your conversation about the intense degree of of product that's come out in the book world in the last few years. Right. And I think part of the problem is, is that even winning, winning awards, I think, is good because it offers a level of sort of validation, a sort of it gives your work some credibility. But to be really frank with you, I, I, it has not, in my case, been enough to garner interest from agents or publishers. Um, I have had some pretty interesting queries from big companies, one in particular that I, that found my book at Book Soup in Hollywood and is we're in I'm in a conversation with a gentleman about some possibilities for hysterical love through that route. But that was right. and that was wonderful because that was kind of a random thing. But um I, I you know, I, I don't know the answer to the question. I think that awards might be a, a thumbs up in your favor, but I don't know that they necessarily open any doors for you beyond that. I have not seen evidence of that myself. Unfortunately, I wish that I had. Now, I hear that you broke ground on your next novel, which promises to be an intriguing potboiler dealing with racial politics, cultural clashes. Wow. How is that process coming for you? How is writing Um, this new piece? It's different because it's a much more dramatic narrative than either of my first two novels, both of which had a lot of drama in them, but they had a lighter touch. This one, this one is um, definitely diving into some very contemporary, very thorny issues of our modern times, having to right. do with racial politics in American culture, interracial relationships, and how those impact family systems, friendship networks, work situations. Um, And it's based around uh, a couple that meet in a work situation and kind of where that that goes. And and there is a a plot point that involves uh, the the police. It takes place in Chicago. And it's going to dive into a lot of things that I've written a lot about in a journalistic fashion, um, having to do with white privilege, uh, Black Lives Matter, just all sorts of things that are very much in the forefront of conversation today, but I'm putting it into a sort of a fictional narrative based on some true life things that I've had um, experience with both subjectively and objectively. So I think it's, you know, it's it's going to take me, I think, a little bit longer to write it because I feel it's very important to me to honor the truth of, of these very deep and very... Um, 
what's the word, controversial issues. So I'm really taking my time with this one, and I, you know, I want to get it right. And um, But I'm enjoying it, too, because it's allowing me to take a lot of my commentary and journalistic perspective and put it into a fictional narrative, which is, which is creatively fun exercise, and it's allowing me to kind of create the story in a way that allows me to express my feelings and thoughts on these topics, but in a fictional narrative. Yeah, with such hot-button issues as racial politics, cultural clashes, and the like. Um, but it still seems, Lorraine, that you are still well within your comfort zone. You're not stepping out of your comfort zone. You're still well within because these are yeah. things that you basically handle. Yeah, no, I think so, Robert. I think if I was writing, like, science fiction, that might be a little right. out of my comfort zone. But I think because I've always straddled the line between fiction and writing my novels, and then, you know, with my Huffington Post column, I cover very contemporary cultural issues. So this right. is kind of a, a melding of those two worlds. So you're you're absolutely right. It is definitely still within my wheelhouse. and it's just, But it's fun to explore something with a little bit more of a dramatic edge. So now let's get into Lorraine, the songwriter, musician, who I <laughs> admire so much, especially oh, after listening you. to your wonderful CD. Could you first give us some background on your musical journey from back in the day when you were a rocker in the 80s, when Blondie <laughs> and Cindy Lauper and Pat Benadar were all in vogue? Yeah. I bet you were right there with them, right? <laughs> And I absolutely was. The only difference was they were playing really big venues and I was playing at clubs on Sunset Boulevard, but that's okay. <laughs> I, pro I probably had as much fun as they did. Well, you I'm know, my, sure. music started, yeah, my music started when I was really young, when I was in high school. I started singing. I was in school musicals and was singing in a folk group. And then in college, same thing, was in musical theater and did a lot of uh, folk groups and then I started singing in bands and um actually you know got in a band that was on the road for almost three years and ended up in Los Angeles at which point I kind of got more into acting for a couple of years and then the right. 80s started and I missed music so much that I got back into music and I ended up meeting a group of musicians a couple of guys a drummer and a great guitar player and we put a band together it was called Devon which was my last name at the time my maiden name and the band was called Devon and it was very 80s I mean I had the biggest hair so much hair so much hair product um <laughs> You know, we were, it was the, you know, the beginning of MTV. It was the whole scene, and we had a really, really good band. It was kind of a new wave soul was kind of what we did. And I wrote the lyrics, and the other two guys wrote the music, and it was really good stuff. I still listen to it today, and I'm proud of a lot of it, and, and it, it holds up even all these decades later. And then when that band kind of, you know, evolved into, I, I that band ended and I started working with a couple of the players who had been Rod Stewart players, two guys named Jim Cregan and Kevin Savgar. We we put a project together in, in more towards the late 80s, uh, which we wrote, wrote a lot of material, recorded a lot of material, and, you know, tried to get the elusive record deal, which we were not able to get, but we did record a ton of really great stuff that I would love to 
revive at some point and re-record um, because these are songs that are great songs that haven't really had the audience they deserve. And then from there, you know, I bounced around in, in independent films and still wrote songs for films and then started again singing in bands in the early 2000s. I was in a blues rock band and then an original project, and that's where my CD evolved out of that. I worked with a great guitarist and songwriter named Rick M. Hirsch, and he and I wrote that record. And since then, you know, I've been doing not as much music as I'd like because I got into my book writing and article writing, but I music is always just an, you know, just a just an arm's length away from me as far as I'm concerned. And if somebody knocked on my door and said, "Hey, we want to put you in a band," I would be so there, Robert. <laughs> so there, Robert. I'm there. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, what what an awesome awesome tale and story. And man, that's a book right there. Three years on the road I know. and. Everything that oh, yeah. you did and the music and oh my God, that that is definitely a book. Um, Lorraine, I, I listened to your CD and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I told you, oh, thank you. You would think that writing a song would be so much different from writing a book, or or is it? You know, it's interesting. I think you know every songwriter has a different way that they go about songwriting and a different mission for the way they go about songwriting. I have always been a storyteller in my songs. I right. I that's just been my style. I I tried to write lighter pop music and it didn't really work for me. I feel like there's a lot of really excellent writers who write really excellent like pop music, and they should be the ones to do that because for me, where I found my voice as a songwriter was in writing more story songs. In fact, it was interesting when I was doing this record, the um, the producer, the co-producer that was mixing it, he looked at me at one point and he said, you know, every one of these songs you've written is like a little movie. You know, it has a story arc, a beginning, middle, and end. And that was really a compliment to me because that is how I write a song. I, Not to make them sound dirgy and dramatic and overly lyriced, but they, they do tell stories. And that was kind of the music I'm drawn to as a listener. You know, I like... I like songwriters right. who write songs that have meaning and have subtext and have narrative. So that's the kind of music that I'm drawn to. You know, one of the things I remember from our last show was you always talked about the importance of the story within the story or the title. You said every title means something to you, whether it's a book title, a poem title, or a song title. You said the titles are so important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very important. Yeah. Well, because, you know, they are, they're like the brand of the song, right. or the brand of the book. And so to me, I think that you have to be very, very creative and very thoughtful about any title you put, pick for a song right. or a book or even even an article. You know, I mean, I think that that's the thing that grabs a an audience member's attention, whether a reader or a listener or whatever, is what, are, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean? What is that, you know, like with my book After the Sucker Punch, I've had so many people tell me, uh, that they were drawn to the book because they wanted to know, they, they understood the concept of that, that something happens in this story that comes after some sort of cataclysmic event, and, and right. they wanted to know what it was. And so to me, I think I'm such a believer in words, you know, and, 
And so to me, picking the words that are the title of something are just as important as anything that's inside of it. Yeah, you're right. And that's cool that you remembered that, Robert. (laughs) I listen. I listen. (laughs) I know you do. I, I like that about you. Lorraine, right now, something new and exciting is happening for you, and that is your involvement with an original musical that's workshopping throughout this year and will begin to run starting in March of 2017 in San Diego. Please tell us all about it. It's a really great project. It's a project that has been created by a husband-wife team. The woman has been a very longtime friend of mine. Her name is Nancy Locke Capers. Her husband's name is Hedges Capers. And he was, in a, uh, he was a very successful singer-songwriter with a group called Hedge, Hedge and Donna, kind of a folk singing um, group uh, in the 60s and 70s. He's an incredible singer and songwriter, and she's an incredible writer and director, and they put their heads together. And they, they created this musical that's very topical. It's about, it's about aging, and that sounds – I don't want to scare anybody off with that because it's not, it's, not, it's not about doddering. It's about what it's like to come out of your 40s and into your 50s and suddenly realize you've got all this juice and all this life and right. all of this energy. But, but you, you know, we all have to get old. We all get old. And how does that work? And how does culture deal with us differently? And how do people deal with us differently? And what happens to our bodies? And what happens to the way we look at the world? And so they cover all these topics, but they do it in such a creative way. And Hedges' music is just phenomenal. Um, that, it just blows me away. He's written so many incredible songs. And we actually did a big uh, stage reading of it last weekend at the theater in San Diego that will be doing it. And there was an audience there, and they were just knocked out by the show. And it's very rough at this stage. And so it was wonderful to get that kind of feedback for it, even in that nascent stage. But it's very topical. It's very funny. um, It's very touching. It's got a lot of incredible music, rock, blues, pop, ballad, doo-wop, all sorts of stuff. And I play a character that luckily gets to sing some blues and some some stuff right. right up my alley. Yeah, so I'm really excited to be because I haven't done anything like this in a long time. I, I I've done it quite a few uh, great contemporary uh, musical theater pieces, but not in the last decade or so. So this has been really fun to be invited to be involved in this, and I'm very excited about it. And I, I have all faith because both of these people are have such integrity as artists, and I know it's going to be a really successful piece. So, yeah, so I'll be blogging about it throughout the year, and so people that are interested will certainly be hearing about it as it as it evolves and develops. But thanks for asking about that. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yes, well, if it's exciting for you, it's exciting for us. Tell us more oh, about oh, the oh, papers. I, oh, wait, I, wait. I, I should before I do that. Let me. I should say the name of it is called the Geese and Me, and and the Geese and Me, and and there's a lot of text subtext that has to do with the the way people use the word the Geese, you know, geezer, and so there's a lot of play on that. So just remember that for the future, the Geese and Me. So about the who the capers, the, the yeah, uh, Nancy Locke and Hedges. How far? Does your relationship go back with them? How did you first meet up and join up with them? Well, it's interesting. Nancy and I met when I in my very early 20s, and I had just come to Los Angeles. And I started this acting class, and she was in it. And she was one of my very first friends here in Los Angeles. And we 
went had so many life adventures over the next decades. Um, it's unbelievable. I mean, we have a tremendously long history together. But in the last couple of decades, she got married to Hedges, and they moved to uh, La Jolla, which is down near San Diego. And so just right. distance, kind of, uh, you know, we, we, we weren't able to spend as much time together, and we both got involved in different things. We both got married. Life intervened. And so we haven't been as uh, involved in each other's lives in the last couple of decades. And so it's been really joyful to... We, we made comment to each other about how our, we've always connected over creativity. And isn't it interesting that once again, at this age of our lives and at this chapter yes. of our lives, we are once again connecting over creativity. And so it's been great for me to work with an old friend and also great for me to get to know her husband better. And he is an unbelievably creative guy, incredibly enthusiastic, very generous creatively, very generous as a person. And so it's been really joyful for me, too, to get to know him both as a person and as an artist. Um, you know, he, it'll, be, it'll be very pleasing to me to see this be a, a, a successful project for the two of them specifically because they've really put their heart and soul into this. It is so cool how you and Nancy have done that 360 and uh, are back to working together. That is so cool. So, Lorraine, the geese and me will be workshopping throughout this year. What exactly is workshopping, and how is it different from the regular run? Well, typically when a play gets a run, um, you know, you probably rehearse for maybe two months beforehand. And usually by the time a play is booked, it is already done. It's ready to go up. And so, you know, you might book, you might book it in March and then start rehearsals in November. Whereas to workshop it, it means the theater owner has enough confidence in the show to book it, but you book it far enough in advance because it's still in development. And then you take that time to work with choreographers, to work with producers, to work with your, you know, your actors or singers to, to fine tune it. You know, they'll be, you know, tweaking and molding and rewriting throughout that whole period until they set it probably in the fall of this year that will set the script so that then the cast will start working with choreographers and Nancy's going to be directing it um, to start putting the pieces together for the run in March. So workshopping is is kind of what just what the word says. It's like you go into the shop and you just work it, you know. you, you Right, right. You, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful creative luxury to have that and it's a real it's a real statement about you know the confidence the theater has in them as artists and in the show because typically you know theaters don't necessarily want to commit time to a show that's not fully developed yet but they could see the potential that it had and the theater owner was at the reading last weekend and he just loved it so um it's going to be a fun year, you know, to to be getting together and working on the script with them and working on the songs and working on the material. And I've already got a head start because I know them personally, so I've had the opportunity to get in there and find the keys for my songs. And right. we'll look forward to recording them. So it's going to be a really fun year. Yeah, sounds like it's going to be a blast. So, Lorraine, I'd like to talk a little bit about your writing for the Huffington Post. How was it that you got this gig? And can you just about write what you want, or is there anything that you basically steer clear of? Um, I got the gig because I started writing my own blog in 2010 called Rock Paper Music, and I sent it to Ariana Huffington, 
with a note and just said, I'd like you to look at my work. And she wrote me back personally, and she said, I'd love for you to write for the Huffington Post. So I started my blog with them in February of 2011. So it's been five years. And it, wow. they, they kind of have two different statuses of writer. They have their staff writers who work in the office, and get assignments and, and have to cover certain assigned things and have to show up. And then they have what they call their, their contributing bloggers, which would be me, which is basically right. they, they give you a concession on their big, enormous, huge platform, and they say, it's yours, you do with it what you want. And then, you know, then you can write whatever you want, basically. I mean, I'm sure that they – have they've been very generous with me and they've let me know that you know they've appreciated my work and so I get certain you know editing privileges that you don't get at the beginning and um okay. placement on the front pages of different verticals mostly I cover uh politics I cover human interest I cover the arts I write about you know the books the book world I've I've written reviews of films and TV um, I just I do social commentary about things that sort of strike a chord with me or 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 strike my peak. However, it turns out um, I write about what I want. It's, when you're in that position, you're not taking assignments. You're basically writing whatever you want, um, right. whenever you want. So it's um it's a wonderful platform. It's like having a blog on the biggest the biggest platform you could possibly have. I mean, that, that is, that is a big that. platform. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've gotten some tremendous um, opportunities that have come from people seeing my work there. And so it's been, it's been a really nice uh, outlet for me as a writer. It certainly reached a lot more people than I could have with my own blogs. So I'm very grateful for it. It's the one place that I, offer my services under the paradigm that they have set up for writers in that particular genre of writing. So it's been good. I went online and checked out some of your HuffPost copy and came across a three-part series called Regina and I Take It On. Who is yeah. Regina and what is the history of how you and she fused for these compelling news articles? Regina, I had written a column called, oh, God, let me see if I can remember the name of it. It was called No White People Will Never Understand the Black Experience because it was right around the time of Ferguson and there was a lot of discussion in, in the media and there was a lot of debate about white people and black people and how we were either not or were interrelating. And I wrote this article that said basically white people can't fully understand the black experience because we don't know what it's like to be black. We don't know what that's like. And so right. I, it, was a, it was a very, very po- powerful um, article. And I don't mean my writing was so powerful. I mean the response to it was powerful. I got right. tremendous feedback. And Regina was one of the people who responded to the article. And we connected on social media. And I, she's a very fierce woman. She's a very successful baker in New York. She has her own bakery. Uh, she's a female entrepreneur who's created a tremendous success for herself. She's very outspoken. She's very bright. She's very brilliant. She's very much of an activist. Um, and I asked her if she would be willing to do this three-part interview series with me, uh, which covered would cover anything and everything we could both think of related to uh, 
white privilege, Black Lives Matter, everything related to this racial political conundrum. And she was up for it. And we set the ground rules, and then we, we went for it. And it was really intense um, in that I said, you know, I don't want to hold back. I don't want to be worried about how I put things. Right. I don't want you to be worried about how you put things. And so we we did this thing, and it was uh, it was really a fascinating experience. I learned a tremendous amount, and um, – I was really surprised that we didn't get a ton of comments because I thought we would, but we didn't. And what I've come to believe is that by the end of reading those three parts, you've been educated. And the only, I don't think anyone could comment other than to say, wow, I've been educated. And so um, I was very grateful for her. She was very candid, very frank, um, very articulate. And uh, she helped me understand a lot of things and she allowed me the freedom to be very uh, cutting edge with her on those topics. So it's a, it's a really good series. And I have it on my blog, too, my rock, paper, music blog, all three of the columns together. And then, of course, they're at HuffPo. So I hope some of your listeners will go check them out because it, they were, it was a really worthy conversation. Definitely. Um, switching gears and talking about your blogs, how are your personal blogs coming along? You mentioned Rock Paper Music and after the SuckerPunch.com. Have you been adding content to these lately? <laughs> you know, I, I have to be really honest. I, I haven't been as vigilant. I simply have not had time. Um, I think I'm spread a little bit too thin at the moment. I was listening to right. your previous your previous guest. Kate and, you know, talking about blogs and promoting everything. And, you know, I think there's a point for me where I sort of got oversaturated on promoting my books, promoting my work. And I'm sort of taking a step back because I think after a while, like you were talking about the whole Twitter phenomenon, I personally feel like I've been so inundated by promotion from books and artists and writers that you you do, you get inured to it. You get desensitized to it, as you said. And so I feel like if I'm feeling that way about other people, then people are probably feeling that way about me. So I've sort of stepped back, um, and I'm not writing as much on both of those blogs. I'm even considering um, archiving rock, paper, music for a period of time because so often what I write there is a reflection of what I'm writing on the Huffington Post, so it gets a little redundant. So okay. I'm going to be thinking about that in the next year and what I'm going to be doing with those blogs. I mean, AfterTheSuckerPunch.com is very much focused just on publishing and books. So I'll probably keep right. that going, just, you know, just because it's so specific. Um, but, yeah, it's got 8,000 plates in the air, and it's like trying to find time. Like my photography has suffered terribly. I just haven't, you know, if I had 12 other people that were me, I could get all this done. <laughs> but, um, I'm trying to focus on what is, you know, the most salient thing at a given moment. I have what I feel is a very interesting question. In music, okay. in music, if you can be defined by any of the songs you've written, Lorraine, which of your songs would it be? Wow, that is a good. That is a good. Uh, wow, wow, that's a tough question, though. You know, um, there's a song on my CD. It's called Richer for Rain. And it basically talks about the, the person singing it, the woman singing it, the boy singing it, is saying how life didn't turn out quite the way she thought. And yet what she learns is that she's, being, she's richer because of her sorrows, of her troubles. And 
and that she, at the end of the song, she realizes that she's proud of the person that she is. And I would have to say that's probably my, I would say that's probably a good song that makes a statement about how I feel about myself and, and life. And it's a great song, and, and I, I think that it's a good motto for me. Um, or for anyone who kind of rides the roller coaster of life and perhaps finds that it didn't turn out quite the way they thought, but the way it turned out is pretty phenomenal. So I think that's a good one. Richard Ferrain. Great choice. Great, great choice. Um, Lorraine, I know you have the new book coming up, and of course, to Geese and me, but is there anything else on the horizon coming up that you can talk about? You know, I think that between those two things and just kind of getting back into my photography and kind of updating my work, and um, this is a really interesting year. My my husband and I just sold a home that we owned, and we're kind of tearing down our lives and so we can create more time to travel and have some new experiences. So I'm really seeing this year as a chapter change and, and trying to make some new decisions about where I want to go with my publishing career um, I'm kind of weary of some of the places I've been, and I want to try some new things. So I, I see this as kind of a, a, a little bit of a blank page, Robert, in terms of anything beyond the things I've already set into motion, which is the geese and me and, of course, my new book. But other than that, I'm really open for I'm open for whatever comes my way this year and kind of see where it takes me. You know what I mean by that? And just I follow love the how long fearless you road. sound. I love how fearless you sound. That's right. Oh, I'm with you, yeah. definitely. So contact. Uh, if people want to go to your website, uh, follow you on Twitter, please give out any contact information. Well, probably the best way is to just go to my website because everything is there, all the links to my blogs, to my social media. It's just my name, LorraineDevinWilkie.com. So that's probably the easiest thing. You can find links to my HuffPo column, to my photography site, to my music. So that's definitely the, the landing place to go for all things Lorraine Devin Wilkie, and maybe more than you even want. But there's some big, but there's some big hair pictures, so you'll enjoy those. <laughs> <laughs> I know we will. You have been listening to the Funk Soul Cafe with your host, Robert Batista. My guest has been the one and only multi-gifted Lorraine Devin Wilkie. Visit her fantastic website at LorraineDevinWilkie.com and feast your soul. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for being a guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. Thank you, Robert. I always enjoy talking to you. Have a great day. Oh, it was so much fun. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.